All right, it is catching up time and it has been, what, nine years plus since I've had a chance to have a conversation with Shadi Ahmed. Here's what happened. I'm following Shadi on Instagram. I see he's got a new album coming out. I fire on the song, I'm on fire. I'm in the Jeep, no windows. I've got it cranked and I can't stop listening to the tune. I reach out to Shadi. He says, hey dude, let's have a chat. And here we are on Zoom. We're going to talk Shadi Ahmed for, you know, until he says he's got to go. <laughs> Shadi, it's, it, this is fantastic. It's great to see you, man. Buddy, it is so good to see you. And for, for anybody um, who, who doesn't know, I first met you nine years ago today. So right now, today is the day that we met exactly nine years ago. October 24th. It's it's kind of crazy because we uh, were we supposed to do this another day and then no, 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 this was the scheduled day we just, and then I'm on Facebook today and I'm going through the memories thing, just scrolling through and there's a picture of you and there's a picture of Paul Kelly in the studio when I was promoting my, uh, uh, the last album that I, I had put out and recorded in Dubai, Life is Art for Those Who Dream. And it's the nine year anniversary. Um, last month, I released it uh, September 16th. Uh, and so I've been getting a lot of these, you know, memories of, uh, of promoting the record and, and stuff like that. And so it was such a pleasant surprise that on the same day, nine years later, here we are sitting talking about the new record and it's just a surreal thing that I'm, I'm so, I'm so happy to know you and I'm, um, you know, so uh, proud of everything that you've uh, done over the years. And, uh, it just brings me joy to watch you. I watch your videos of you just dancing and it just brings me so much joy. It's something I look forward to every day. Oh man. And, uh, yeah, man. You know, this is, this is kind of fun because I remember when we, we, you introduced that album and I, and one of the things I totally remember was all of the, the stuff you had going with the, with the cover, with the CD cover and things. And I mean, it was a wonderfully packaged piece. It was incredible. I didn't, I didn't realize nine years ago. Wow. It's nine years ago. Um, it, the, the crazy thing is we've lost that now. Like I was doing a poll on Instagram and I was asking people if they were interested in having printed copies of the CDs and everybody was like, no, like, where would we play them? I'm like, what about your car? And I realized that even modern cars don't even have, uh, uh, you know, CD ROMs. So it's like, we, we don't have CDs and laptops. We don't have them in cars. And it's just, uh, it's a shame because having the physical thing in your hand is such a precious thing. And I'm probably going to print out a couple of CDs just for me and some close friends and family because having the physical, I've already designed the, the, the entire design for the, for the, for the album, um, like the front and back covers and the CD and everything. It's just a matter of, you know, putting money into something that is just going to be, you know, not really non reciprocated, but I'm okay with it. I think, um, it's just worth it for me. I also wanted to test out doing it on vinyl, but it was going to be way too expensive to do that. And I wasn't going to be able to sell a single unit. So I'm like, all right, let's not do that. But I am, um, going to probably do CDs just for myself, close friends and family. I think it's worth it. A lot's changed in nine years. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, your career. I mean, it's, it continues to happen. It's there. You're making music, but it's COVID kind of got in the way as well. 
tell tell me the story where we are today. What's 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 happened, Shadi? So music is a very interesting thing to look at nine years later. Um, I wouldn't say music has changed. Music has has a certain way of just you know moving in circles. So whatever musical trend is now the it thing probably was the it thing 40, 50 years ago. So it just moves in cycles. So in that regard, I'm always happy to be a musician because I can sort of expect some things and I can anticipate some things or I could just be okay with whatever changes that are happening. But the way that it's changed um, aggressively is I would say social media and promotion. Um, like the one thing I'm noticing, yeah, the one thing I'm noticing right now is that having the product in hand um, is not even the first step. <laughs> it's like, you're not even, you, you should have the product anyway. And then you start the steps of self-promotion and trying to get on playlists. And it's just a completely different game now that if all you've done is focus on music and making the best music that you can, it's just not going to be enough. You have to constantly educate yourself on how to promote for your music and how to get it to play in the right places and, and all of that good stuff. And especially for independent artists, it's a struggle because all they really want to do is just make music. They want to make the best music they can. They want to become better musicians. They want to have better instruments. They want to do better recordings. They want to spend some more money on mixing and mastering. They want to make sure they have crisp sounds and modern production. But then when they've, you know, emptied out their bank account on the audio <laughs> and then you got to go into the video medium and you got to go into Instagram and you got to go to this and this and this, which are not really music based platforms. They're all video based platforms. And so you have to turn yourself into this, this video entertainer and content creator, uh, just so you can get people to listen to your music. It's very interesting. I don't think people are interested in music anymore as much as they're interested in the person. So if I want people to listen to my music, I have to get them invested in who I am as a human being. I might be a boring person, but <laughs> oh, I yeah, make great yeah. music, yeah. but it doesn't work that way. You got to yeah. be an interesting person with mediocre music to succeed. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, and, you, and you've got to understand, okay, how does Deezer work and, and how does Spotify work? And what if I want to get onto iTunes? And I mean, it's, it is a full-time job and posting that. And, and at least on the one hand, you're really good at creating that packaging and that can translate electronically. But you know what? And I don't want to fire back to something that you said when you were talking about printing off some CDs. My big complaint about Spotify, and look, I'm on Spotify. I listen to music on Spotify. I find new stuff on Spotify. I, I have a, a complaint about the algorithm because I would like it to, to, give, to allow me to be a little bit wider in, the, in what I find you know, organically through their tool. But I am forever trying to find the information about the track. You know, who was on it? Hey, what, what was the thinking behind that track? And I don't get that right. through any of these, any of these mediums. There are no more credits. You no. have to go to the independent artists page to look at the independent um, uh, credit for that one song. And then you, like I faced that issue with uh, with the band that I recorded with, because once it's out there and it's on Apple Music and Spotify and everything else, you're not really seeing any of the credits. Like I wrote the credits and I put it on the one page website that I did with uh 
it's it, it's this one page website um, called Here Now, uh, which basically encapsulates the entire album, gives you demos about uh, like thirty second clips of each song, a little biography about the album, and then all the links where you can just get it wherever you're listening. So I made sure to include who did anything on the album in that one small bio. But again, it's still not enough. You know, if you're listening to an album, you want to see, like you said, you know, and obviously going from vinyls to CDs to now just digital, it's just getting smaller and smaller. And um, it's, it's, it's tough because even when you're uploading your stuff on um, distribution websites, and there are many of them, uh, you don't really get to credit the individual artists. You can only credit other songwriters. So if somebody has contributed to the, to, uh, to, to, to the song, but not in a songwriting manner and songwriting is very broad, you know, a riff is considered songwriting. Um, but if they're not already an established artist on the website, you can't really like tag them or anything. So there's no way for them to get revenue out of that. Not that there's any revenue to begin with, but anyway. <laughs> what's, what's the scene? Is the scene coming back to life in Egypt, in Cairo? I have to say I've been pretty lucky to be based in Cairo because in the midst of everything, we still had a lot of venues that were open. I was still able to perform music, not to a point where I was able to sustain a living out of it, but uh, it was still there because I'm able to play music on my own, just as a solo artist, I was able to play in a lot of venues that weren't able to uh, book bands. Um, It's funny because like prior to COVID, I had been limited in the amount of gigs I can get because I was playing solo. So right. I put a band together so I can get more gigs. As you and do. then COVID started. And, then, and they're like, we got to go back to the solo thing or do it like a duo or a trio. It's, you know, can't be any more than two, three people. I'm like, all right. So I went back to that thing. Yeah, and then yeah. slowly but surely it started coming back. And it's just, you know, regulations in the, in, in the country are not uh, super strict. And we're very lucky to have that. Um, and so it's kind of allowed us to be able to continue to perform and continue to make music. And like, I recorded this entire album, uh, during the pandemic lockdown. Um, and it, that was an experience onto its own, uh, you know, just two people in the studio at the most, we were very, very careful. Um, I, I did contract COVID in the middle of it and I had to be out of action for about three months. Mine was kind of a, yeah, I got, I, I got a rather aggressive one where I was very sick for about a month and then I had to recover for another two months before I was able to sing again. And that was a challenge on Susan because, uh, my chest wasn't really opening up and I had to like do a lot of waiting and, uh, which, you know, yeah. When you're making a record, you kind of want to be impatient about everything. And the vocals was the only thing that hadn't been done yet. Everything else was recorded. Everything else was done. Just had to go and sing. And, you know, you know, when it's something like that, it's sort of like up to you, like how, how bad you want this and how bad is it going to sound? So it's, um, I waited until I was finally comfortable enough to go back in the studio and record. And, uh, yeah. And in terms of affecting live performances, it did for a bit. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but I, I'm very lucky and I have to acknowledge that I am lucky, uh, that it, I've, I, I know a lot of friends who just have not been, play, have not played in two years and, um, very lucky that that's not the case. I have to say, tell me about this new album, Magnolia Mountain. Yeah, man. Um, well, so 
it's like it's like the, the, it's the COVID album, really. I mean, I mean, you, literally, you have COVID in the middle. This is the COVID album, Magnolia Mountain. It's I'm never going to forget the recording process. It was so unique in so many different ways. But the short version of the story is um, I've always been inspired by Americana music, um, even though it gets categorized as country music sometimes, which, you know, I, I got nothing against country. It's just not country. Um, <laughs> it's just not, it's, it's really no, you're, not. You're, like, um, like, Magnolia mountain is not, is not country, but it, it's got, it's got that feel to it. And that's instantly, I mean, I love country music. I love all, all the spectrum, but you know, country is not just country. There's, there's a spectrum. And as soon as I put this on and started listening, I just went, I'm home. Like this is, this is a nice in between. It's beautiful. It just, it's got a story. It's got some nice riffs. It just, it's, it's, it fit like a, you know, like that sweater that you pull out of the, the drawer that you haven't worn in a few years and you, you didn't remember yeah. you had it and you put it on and you go, Oh, all the memories are just coming back. That's, that's what the, mag <laughs> it's like this album had been around forever. And it, it, that's how that's, well it fit my ears. That to me is the greatest thing you could ever say because it's kind of the mission statement for this record was to make an album that sounded familiar, sounded like uh, it belonged on your playlists uh, for a very long time. I set out to make a record that you could uh, have as a companion to your life. So at some point I stopped being interested in making music that was intrusive in a way that like, Oh no, no, you need to shut up and listen to this. And I just wanted to make music that you could put on while you're doing other things. And I wanted to be part of your life. I wanted to make a record you could listen to while you were making breakfast or you're driving to work or you're just sitting at home doing chores. I just wanted to be listenable and I wanted to be accessible. And that to me was the mission statement for the record in regards to the genre. I've always been an acoustic singer songwriter. And when you're making your songs primarily on acoustic guitar, eh, it's a very short trip uh, to, 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 to get to like folk land, shall we say. And um, so for me, it was kind of like, how can I be the most honest version of myself and still sound relatively accessible to people in terms of like the whole pop genre? and the rock genre and just being able to blend all of these things that I find fascinating into a sound that I can call my own. I didn't create anything. I just borrowed a lot from so many different artists. And I think the result is something I'm incredibly proud of. Um, the musicians that I chose. And I have to say one of the main things that contributed to the album sounding the way it did was that I didn't put any, expectations or reservations on anybody recording the record. So the way I would do it is I would get somebody in, I'd play them the record and I give them the album and they would just record whatever they wanted. Really? And then <laughs> that's, whatever, that's pretty whatever ballsy. You, like, Daddy, that is really ballsy. Yeah, yeah, just, <laughs> well, when you choose the right people yeah. and you're sure that, you know, they know what they're doing. Um, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's not as ballsy as, as it sounds. It's, it kind of seems like doing anything else would be absurd. Um, and so the recording engineer, Mukhtar Asaya, who I was uh, recording the album at his studio, he'd been playing bass with me for a very long time. He played bass on 
uh, a lot of the recordings that I have done. We were in a band together at some point. And at some point we even shared a studio. We were like flatmates. So we've been very, very good friends for a long time. And I am always comfortable recording with him. He's an incredible guy. Doesn't hold anything back, which I appreciate. Yeah. And uh, he's an incredible bassist. He's one of the best bassists I've ever played with or had the pleasure to sit in and listen to him record. And so it's just, um, it's a, it's a really, really great experience. And so automatically, as soon as we started recording, I'm like, you're doing bass, right? And he's like, well, all right. And I'm like, okay, yeah, well, you're doing bass. And then my good friend, Romy Sidney, who played guitar, uh, we had always tried to do stuff together, but he was always uh, going out of the country, coming back in at yeah, like yeah. random times. And um, it, it wasn't until a few years ago where he decided he was going to be staying in Cairo for a bit. And that's when we started looking at the possibility of actually investing into doing something together. And so immediately, as soon as I wanted to record, I called him up and like, Hey man, listen, I'm doing this record and I want you to be all over I want you to play guitar or just about anything you want on the record. <laughs> and so we approached it kind of like a family, like, what are you good at? What are you good at? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And so, so you end up getting Romy playing electric guitar, slide guitar, and even piano on one of the songs. And then I'm doing all the acoustics on the entire record. And I'm also doing string arrangements and piano in one of the, in one of the songs. Uh, Mukhtar played bass. And he also came up with the, uh, with the drum arrangements. We sat down together. And then the most exciting thing about uh, the recording process was that I sent the album to a drummer friend of mine in Nashville. I'm like, if this is going to get like a folky country Americana sound, yeah. it might as well go to where it belongs. <laughs> you know, I, di I did try to record drummers in Egypt, um, but I don't think they got it. They weren't really locked into the sound that I I wanted. And I sent it to my buddy, Jack, who, I mean, that's a completely different story. Uh, Jack's a really good friend of mine uh, who I visited in Nashville uh, two years in a row, 2018, 2019. And those two visits to Nashville really played a big part in the inspiration for the sound of this record. And um, not just, a, just the spirit of being there, but anyway, that's a completely different uh, story. So I, I sent the record to him. I'm like, Hey man, listen, there's these tracks and I want you to record. And so I waited for him to have a recording session so he can go and sneak my songs in. And uh, that took as long as it did. And there was no time limit or anything. I was super easygoing with the whole thing. I didn't put a deadline on anybody. Um, and then I realized that when I give the music to somebody and just let him do what they do, they give me the best performance yeah. instead of me telling them specifically what to do. Uh, but the tricky thing is uh, trying to be uh, flexible, which everybody was, honestly, everybody was super nice and easy to work with. I just asked them for the flexibility for me to cut up whatever they did into something I can use if I, if I see anything I can use. So for example, the song I'm on fire, there's a riff in the verse as I'm singing, which was recorded by a good friend of mine called Almada Deep in Los Angeles. Okay, hold on. Let's, and let's, I sent him. Let, let's let's pl let's play. Can I play just a little bit of this so we don't we don't get caught out on copyright or something? Who knows how they do this? But let me just put a bit on. I approve, sir. <laughs> I admit I was taken aback by your surprise and fascination But oh honey, you know I've got to draw the line Oh honey, would you look at the time It's getting
I'm telling you, that is a crank it up song, Shoddy. I wasn't even sure that was you singing at one point. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us the story. Sorry I interrupted you. Let you get back on track. But I wanted to let people have a chance to just get a little bit of a listen to what we're talking about. Tell, tell, tell us the story there. Um, so, yeah, what I was saying was uh, in the recording, I sent it to my friend Omar yeah. um, after the guitars were already recorded. I wanted him to okay. record like synth, do like keyboard stuff and all that good stuff. He decided he wasn't going to do any of that and then just didn't do anything for a couple of months and then emailed me maybe two or three months after. And, um, and I'm like, Hey man, um, he, he asked me if I was still working on the song yeah. or, or just the, the album. And I said, I am still. And so he recorded guitars over the song okay. and sent it to me. So you'll hear his bit right now. That part. Yeah. Yeah, I see. Okay, I get it. Yeah. So he, he he recorded a whole bunch of guitars, but that was the only part I was able to use ah. because the rest of the song already had guitars. Right. Ah, I get it. Ah, okay. Interesting. Very interesting. So but this whole process of of putting the music out there in this context where you'd, you you really assembled a whole bunch and then said, hey, here, you know what? Go have a listen, play, do what you got to do. Let's make this an incredible album. That's where this right. all started coming from. Yeah. And I have to say that's a big contributing factor to the album sounding the way it does because... I mean, I'm a big believer in getting the best people for the job, telling yeah. them what you want, and then just leaving them alone <laughs> to do what they to, to 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 do what they feel. And then at the end of the day, I I, I have the um, the 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 honor to go through everything they've uh, they've recorded yeah. and kind of dissect it and you know slice through it and see what I can use and what I can't use. And so doing that in that way um, for me gave me the complete best versions of each and every song. And I'm just so happy that I was able to do that. And uh, I think this is going to be the record. I remember making all the right decisions. You know? <laughs> I like that. I mean, that, that is a nice yeah. tagline. I, I were going to yeah. remember this because I made all the right decisions and I didn't let yeah. anything get in the way of just doing the right thing. Right. So I didn't allow time to be a factor. Okay. We worked on it for a whole year. And maybe sometimes you could say that that's a long time for just five songs, especially when there's one song that's only just a very minimum guitar and vocals uh, being recorded. Um, but, I, you know, so track five on the record, uh, You Make It Easy, that one should be the simplest one to record. And it was. But the thing is, when I heard the rest of the album, I wanted it to sound as good. So I went into this you know, rabbit hole of how do we make this song sound different? And I even took it to a producer friend of mine who completely shuffled it and made it sound completely, took all the guitars out, put only like synth and put these, you know, ambient sounds. And we tried a whole bunch of stuff. I I re-recorded the vocals to something and I'm like, no, 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 no. this is going to be a piano song. We're going to do a piano song. I want to have a piano song. And I recorded the pianos to it. I re-recorded the vocals. And then we did all of that and then just went back to listening to the acoustic guitar just on its own. And I'm like, 
you know what? It just sounds great the way it originally did, <laughs> but we had done all of this work. So I was able to draw from a couple of things. So you'll hear pianos on it. You'll hear a little mandolin on it and you'll hear the guitars and the electric guitar in the background and everything. Um, there were only two elements that were intended to be there originally, but because we had went into this, you know, crazy wave of trying to make the sound uh, uh, larger than it, it, it was supposed to, we had all of these different elements that we could draw from. And that's how the song sounded the way it did at the end. Uh, so it still has the minimalistic quality to it, but it does have a lot of elements that could have only existed, uh, uh, you know, um, when we decided to try to see where it could go. And I'm super proud of that one as well. Let, let, me, um, let, let, me, let me just play a little bit of You Make It Easy just to get a sense of, of what you're talking about here. Life can get harder with every passing day. We're not careful we Lose ourselves along the way I, I'm, I'm listening, I'm trying to imagine now All the piano being in there And now I'm also trying to imagine this song Yeah I, It's hard to imagine that You know, I, I mean, I, you know, sometimes you right. listen to a song And you can hear, oh yeah, what if, what if this song did this? Or what if it had a remix like that? I, I'm right. not hearing it in that song Like, that sounds to me like <laughs> I can't, I can't even imagine that you had all these other versions and then you just said, you know what? It just sounds good the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> and again, that's part of making the right decision. It was the right decision to explore it. Yeah. And it was the right decision to go back to that version. And, um, I will be working on like a remix of it with my producer friend because we took it into a really interesting direction. I just didn't feel like it fit the album. Right. Because I was really careful to preserve the quality the album had, which is it's something you can play through. You mm. don't need to skip anything. And that was also part of the mission statement. Have a sub 20 minute album that you could put on and before you're used to it, it's done. And so you have to listen to it again. So I've been getting a lot of messages about people listening to it on repeat. I'm like, that's exactly what I wanted. Because if you put out a record with 10 songs, that's, 45 to 50 minutes, it'll be like, people are like, Hey man, what are you trying to do here? Like, I don't have this kind of time. Right. But if you give them a 20 minute yeah. record, they'll listen to it three times in a row and yeah. they'll be completely fine. So <laughs> it's kind of like, like what's happened yeah. to us. Right. I mean, we, we've now become these economy, no economies of time. <laughs> I have to tell you, I did a lot of research leading into this record. And again, it goes back to the whole idea of making the right decisions. I put a little bit of, you know, a couple of rules. So rule number one, no song goes over four minutes. All right. All right. Rule number two, no more than five tracks. Okay. Rule number three, don't bore us, get to the chorus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and rule number five, make sure every single song has a hook. And that to me was kind of like, let's just put these down on paper. And then every time we do a song, we'll just cross check them with the criteria and see if we're doing it right. And you kind of have to do that now. Whereas before I would just, you know, if you remember my old record had the song called Amsterdam. I absolutely that remember was, that song. That was, that song was five minutes after being edited. 
So that was originally maybe a five and a half to like six minute song. And as soon as I recorded it, like this is too, it's, it's too much. Nobody's going to listen to that amount of music. So I took out a little bit of, I took maybe about 45 seconds out of it and it was still more than five minutes. And that to me was okay. You know, an average amount of time for a song used to be four minutes. And now the average amount of time is maybe two minutes, 40 seconds, three minutes, 20 seconds. So I'm like, I paid a lot of attention to what was going on in the industry and also people's, um, uh, attention span. So you could see that in the metrics, when you put out a video and stuff, you could see the drop-off point where people just lose focus and they just move on yeah, yeah. and they've just become so used to this thing, you know, they're yeah. just scrolling through everything. <laughs> so if you create something that makes them stop, you're actually getting them to do something that goes against their nature because their nature is so thumb based now. Mm. And it's just, it just keeps going up. You keep scrolling, you keep scrolling up and down, scrolling up and down, refresh, scroll up and down. And so to put out something that uh, stands out, it has to be either ridiculous, uh, (laughs) stand out in the worst way, or it could just be something beautiful that cuts through everything. I use Adele as an example all the time uh, because she's just incredibly gifted in not giving a shit. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. She just doesn't care. (laughs) Like what's, what's, what's the thing now you're doing, Oh, you're doing this electronic stuff. You're doing a lot of uh, these, you know, electronic bays and Oh yeah. Cool. Check this out. I'm going to do a song with just piano and bass and my voice. And that's, that's all, that's it. And, yeah. and it's going to be the best song of the year because I'm Adele. And because I can do that, you know, and I just and don't care. People, I'm going to do the album yeah. I want to hear. Yeah. She just doesn't give a shit and it's refreshing. And I love it. I love it because she just doesn't care Yeah. because to her music is not about, obviously she's got the, um, the audience to back it up. Because she's at a point now where whatever she does, people are going to listen. And so all she has to do is just put out something that sounds great. And I think it's impossible for her to put out anything that doesn't sound great because of that voice of hers. Um, And so other people in the realm of the music industry still have to kind of work hard on being relevant and trying to do something that sounds fresh or, you know, you get all these people who are trying to break molds and draw inspiration from the eighties. And here she is just freaking piano (laughs) and vocals. (laughs) And that's it. That's all you're going to get, you know? And it's the first single of the new record. It should be like the big hit and stuff. (laughs) And it's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Others might need to do that. I don't. And so here it is. And so it was really refreshing to, to see that, but I, I obviously I'm not at that point and I wanted to fit in to the criteria and the mold and I wanted the album to be accepted. And again, it just goes back to a lot of decisions that were made in favor of the album succeeding as opposed to being true to the art form. Cause you could still be true to the art form and not be, you know, an ass. You could still try to make music with the knowledge that people are going to listen to it without really being too much of a pretentious artist who says, Oh no, my art's not for everybody. You know, yeah. <laughs> and just sit, sit there and expect people to respect you for that. I, I, I'm not a big fan of that. I don't like people who uh, purposefully alienate their audiences 
I think what we do is for the people. And if things are changing and that now means that you need your songs to be a bit shorter, a bit snappier and have hooks and all of that stuff, then that's what you should do. Uh, we're seeing a resurgence now of records that are 15 tracks or 23 tracks. Or th- like That's exciting to me. I kind of thought like one of the decisions I made was to make it an EP, only five tracks. And now you're seeing Casey Musgraves. Her record is like, it's got, I don't know how many, like maybe 15 tracks, something yeah. like that. Billie Eilish, too many tracks. Drake and uh, Kanye both had records with like maybe 23 <laughs> songs on them. And I'm like, what is happening? Is this the post COVID album thing that here's all the songs I wasn't supposed to release, but now you're getting them all together at once. Like what's going on. Um, but also because musicians have not been able to tour. I think one of the main reasons you're getting, you know, uh, um, super package albums now is that, um, because they haven't been able to tour now they want uh, to tour with a good wealth of uh, new music. Right. And I think that might be a contributing factor. I mean, should all the songs belong on the record? I don't think so, but it's not for me to decide though. <laughs> so Shadi, you were also doing some music at, at one point you, you were, you were doing some Arabic music as well. That's right. What's, what's happening with your English Arabic performances? What, where, where are you on? Is there a, is there a, is there an EP coming out in Arabic as well? Do you have one of those lined up? So I don't have one lined up right now because I'm super focused on, uh, just seeing this whole sound through. I don't think I said everything I, I needed to say with Magnolia Mountain. I, I think I have more songs in that world that I, I, I think when you're setting out to make a record, you're really setting out to like create an environment that you could live in. Okay. And I don't think I'm done living there. I'm not ready to move yet. Shall mm-hmm. we say? Okay. Um, and so I still have a lot of unfinished and unresolved, um, uh, ideas that I, that I do want to create. And I are, I've already started writing. I'm like three tracks into the next one. I've, I've already started writing that. What's, and, what's uh, the working title? Shadi, what's the working title? See, it changes a lot. (laughs) So the original, the original title for Magnolia mountain was actually going places. That was the, that was the very first idea Uh because there, I I, I mean, I don't like to describe albums as concept records, but this song, this album was a collection of songs I wrote um, uh, to my wife for my wife. And it came after being married for a few years and being uncomfortable with songwriting because before you're married, you could write about anything, anyone, and nobody, you know, nobody cares. Yeah. But when you're married and people actually know your wife and they've seen you with her before. And so there, that draws a lot of questions when you come out with a song uh, and it's got some devastating lyrics or something and like, Hey, what happened? Are you guys okay? And stuff. And I was, as a songwriter, I faced a lot of changes after being married because I'm like, well, you know, what do I, what do I write now? And what do I do now? And you're dealing with this new change in your life. And I I know a lot of people experience that after they become fathers as well. And um, whatever seismic change happens in your life affects your songwriting in a way, whether you like it or not. And to me, it took a while before I was able to articulate what I wanted to say, what I was comfortable sharing and what I wanted to keep to myself. And it took a while for that to 
to happen. So two of the tracks, maybe three of the, maybe four, I'm not sure. Yeah. So four <laughs> of, of the, of, of the tracks had been written way before the album uh, was started recording. And then the one song, I think it's your favorite. You said steady as you go, yeah. steady as we go is, is your favorite one yeah. of the records. Yeah, absolutely. Boy, do I have a story <laughs> for you about that one track. So like I said, for the, the other four tracks on the record, I'm discounting Aurora, which is the instrumental one, which also has a good story. Uh, but those tracks were written two to three years before the album was launched. Wow. Before it was recorded. So they had been there because I had consciously made the choice to not write any English material when I was working on my Arabic stuff, coming back to the Arabic uh, material. Uh, but I wasn't very happy with the Arabic stuff I was doing. And so I went through a phase where I was feeling very discouraged and depressed. And so I'm like, well, you know, I'm still a songwriter. So let me try to see if I have anything left to say in English. And so I wrote a few tracks and I'm like, this is kind of really, really good. I really like these tracks. And so I had a collection of maybe seven to 10 songs that I was playing around with one way or the other. Some of them I'd performed live and some of them I chose to just keep to myself. And then, uh, even though being one of them, by the way, the, the oh, really? very first time anybody heard that track was on the record. I'd never played that before. Wow. Um, uh, yeah. And you make it easy is another one that I had not performed live, but I did perform I'm on fire like a day after I wrote it on the radio. So I was doing a radio interview yeah. and I wanted to go in with something new. And so I sat down and I labored over that song a day before the radio uh, appearance so I can perform it on the radio. So an acoustic version of that has been on the radio for about two years, Okay, you know, even before it was released as a single. Yeah. And so I felt the need to step out of the Arabic, uh, songwriting process because I didn't feel like I was doing that good of a job. And I wanted to go back to something that could give me the confidence again mm. in what I really feel like I'm supposed to be doing. And so that was that. And I'm, there's no Arabic EP. Um, um, we can finish this up and then go into the songs uh, if you want to break them down. Um, so yeah, the, the next one is probably the current plan right now is to have sort of a part two in Magnolia Mountain. It's okay. not going to be called part two, but it's just <laughs> going to be a continuation within the same realm. And so uh, the working title for it is Colored Canyon, okay. which still has the the whole natural aesthetic yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. stuff. Yeah. And so the way I came up with that was through a, a songwriting workshop that I, I do um, where I, so it was a completely absurd thing to try to do, but it's been very rewarding. So I struggled with naming some of the tracks on Magnolia mountain, especially shoulder lullaby, because for the longest time it was called shoulder to sleep or okay. shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, you know, and I didn't like either of them. I didn't like, so I just kept going back to that one song. Like, and even as we were mastering the record, they were like, what is this song called? I'm like, just, just write shoulder. I'll take care of it later. And I didn't know what I was going to call it. I really didn't, but I knew I didn't like any of the titles that I had. I'm like, listen, man, let's not do this again. Let's come up with really good sounding titles and then write the songs. So you got the titles done first and then we'll see what, where we go. Yeah. So I started experimenting with really cool sounding titles and I came up with the title Canyon Moon and I love the two things together. 
And then I went on the old Google machine and well, you know, Harry Styles has a song called Canyon Moon in his, in his, in his last record. I'm like, all right. So I don't want to do that because I yeah. faced the exact same issue with Magnolia mountain because Ryan Adams has a song called Magnolia mountain. And by the way, we're friends on Instagram now because of that. Well, there you go. And I know. I know. He, he reached out and he, uh, he, he left a, such a sweet comment on the promo that I had for the, uh, for the record. He's like, it's so cool that you named your record that. And he liked a whole bunch of stuff and he gave me a follow oh, and man. I've been messaging him uh, like crazy. He hasn't been responding, but I think I'm, I think I'm this close to like freaking him out, but I don't think he has anything to worry about. But yeah, man, through this record, I've, I, it's just been a blessing so far. So anyway, I like Canyon moon. So I put them apart. So I'm like, all right, let's look at famous canyons in Egypt. And so the colored Canyon came up. I'm like, uh, I love the color. I've, I've been to the, I, I've been there before. It's incredible. So I'm like, okay, that's one title. And I'm like, all right, show me types of moons. And I looked through a whole bunch of them. And then there was one called strawberry moon. I'm like, I love that. So here's another title. So I put strawberry. And so I kind of like this whole element of Canyon and moon. And so I went into like famous lakes and like okay. famous rivers and stuff. And so to get these sort of really cool yeah. uh, names first and then see where you go. So I did come up with a song called colored Canyon and I did write a song called strawberry moon. These two are going to be on the next record. I'm actually performing them live with my band right now. Oh, fantastic. And I, and I wrote a whole bunch of stuff. There's an, there's a new song I wrote called dumb luck, which is me just leaning way the hell into the whole country thing. I'm like, you want to see a country song? Here's a freaking country song. Here it is. This is what the country sound sounds like. And so that's me like steering into it. You're like playing 100%. a banjo. You got a banjo involved in that or in any way, shape or form. There's no banjos. It's, it's got a very Keith urban style, uh, uh, thing happening to it. Um, but yeah, I'm super proud of it. And there's just a whole bunch of new stuff that I'm working on right now that I, I, I think is some of the, some of the better songwriting that I've done. And I think I'm really getting into the groove of, um, understanding what it is that I want to say and, uh, you know, coupling that with knowing how to say it. Yeah. And that's, it's a very exciting time. And I just want to stay in this wave and stay in this place for as long as I can. And, um, then it'll be time to move on. It'll be time to do something else. But for now, uh, I'm just, uh, you know, cowboy hats and boots and denim jackets. And, you know, I, I already have the outfits for it. So that's, uh, <laughs> so it's good in that regard. So, you, so I want to go back to, uh, uh sorry, go ahead. No, I, mean, I just wanted to, I just wanted to close that out. Do, do you think in a sense, cause you were talking about, writing in Arabic and, and the performing and, and stuff and not feeling so comfortable with the writing. And do, do you think in a sense you've, you've just given yourself permission and, and, and just said, look, this is my thing right now. And mm -hmm. because you've given yourself permission, because you've just sort of said, let's just do great music that it's enabling you at this point. And too many people are trying to fit too many molds and you're just saying, I'm going to do me. And today this is me. Absolutely. I, uh, one, one, one of the main reasons I set out on recording this record and producing this sound was that anytime I would go on Spotify, it would make me incredibly sad. I would see that I only have one record out nine years ago. And then 
in those nine years, I only released like a few singles in Arabic. So I'm looking at it like I had an Arabic record yeah. that was being recorded, but I stopped it because I didn't feel like I wanted it to be out there. I didn't feel comfortable enough with the vocals. I didn't feel comfortable enough with the words. And for me, I'm a singer songwriter. And so if I'm putting something out there, I want to be the one writing the the lyrics and the compositions. I'm okay with co-writing, but there's a, a really big trend of not a trend. It's just maybe the way you do things here, which is not so dissimilar to the way it's done in Nashville, where you get a great songwriter and he writes the he writes the music, and then you compose it or find somebody to compose it, and then you sing it. And so you're just a singer at this point, which there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just not what I wanted to do. Yeah. I grew up on singer-songwriters. I grew up on Dave Matthews, Jack Johnson, Jason Mraz, John Mayer, a lot of the, the singer-songwriters of the early 2000s. And I bought a guitar because I just wanted to emulate my heroes, and I wanted to be up there singing songs that I wrote. And now uh, being inspired by the likes of Chris Stapleton and Brandy Carlisle, just the one thing that always attracts me to their music is the songwriting. It's just, they wrote the music, they wrote the words and it's coming from a place of deep honesty. And that's what I always aspire to do. So I, I tried to compose a song that I didn't write. I, I didn't feel like I, I felt like an imposter, you know, and I wasn't too comfortable doing that if I'm being honest. And even now when anybody likes the song and tries to give me praise for it, I'm so uncomfortable receiving praise for that song because I'm not the one who wrote the, the words. And I'm like, well, I mean, it just seems like I'd be much happier if I just do this thing that I know I can do. I have done before and pick up all of the things that I learned over the past and just try to be a musician again, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so now there's this, there's these five tracks and I want to put like five more and then maybe another five. And I just want to keep releasing stuff because I don't want to ever take nine years off again. <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't, you don't, that's, it's just, I felt like it was very unfair. It was unfair to me and it was unfair to anybody who's ever liked my music before because you're just not, you, you can't really expect people to keep supporting you if you're not doing the thing they signed up for. Like when people sign up to be a fan yeah. and I take pride in, I, I take great pride in knowing that some people have listened to my music and it's affected them in a way and they decided to be fans. And I feel like I let them down. I really do. I feel like I haven't done my best to keep producing the, 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 the stuff they signed up for. I just maybe tried to focus on a whole bunch of other stuff and for personal and selfish reasons, I, I wanted to make it as much as possible. I wanted to put myself in the route to the best route to being successful. If you're an Egyptian living in Egypt is to be singing in Arabic. And I tried to do that, I think for personal reasons. And now I'm going back to English for personal reasons as well. But at least now I know that I, I would have never forgiven myself if I had just kept doing English stuff and not tried Arabic at least because um, then I just would have like, Oh, maybe it would have been good. Well, now we know it wasn't. So you can move on comfortably, happily, and just be happy with the decision. And I think I am. Is your wife your biggest fan? She's such a big fan of my music. <laughs> And it's very challenging for her because she's really not the type of person who memorizes songs. 
Okay. You know, yeah, she yeah. knows little bits and pieces of even even musicians and artists who she's such a big fan of. She she I don't think she knows a single song from start to end by heart. It, it, it's just it's not it's it's just not the way. She loves the music and she loves the the feeling she gets when she listens to music, but. I don't think her brain retains musical moments or lyrics or stuff like that. So it's such a strange thing for me because I always looked at people who are big fans of stuff and they'd like recite the lyrics and sing the whole song and stuff. But having said all that, my album, I think is the one thing she knows most of. And that's, you know, that means a lot to me. Yeah. That's huge. yeah, it is. It is pretty huge that she could sing a chorus or a verse of any of the songs. It's more than she could do with some of the uh, with some of the bands that she's a, a huge fan of. And um, since being introduced to Spotify and me making certain playlists for her, I think she's grown into understanding the, the the sound that I'm trying to create. And she listens to a lot of music now that uh, is very reminiscent of the style of music that I make. And so it kind of just works together and fits. Um, she's uh, she's at the, at the center of everything that I, that I did in this album. So all the songs were either for her or about her, um, inspired by her in some way or the other. Um, like when I was go- going back to like the decisions that I was making, yeah. she was there for every single decision. Like at some point I knew I liked the word Magnolia and I loved Magnolia mountain. But then when I put them together, I'm like, well, there's a song that already exists called Magnolia mountain. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to plagiarize this. Let's walk. Let's sorry. I was just actually looking at the, the, the songs on the album. Can, can, can you well, let, walk me back through the album a little bit? So, for instance, she talked about Aurora. It is just, it, it's just, it, there's, there's no lyrics. Walk me through some of these different songs and and what went into the, the process of deciding these are on the EP. So it was the, the very last song recorded on the, on the record and it wasn't supposed to be there. That's I, I hear that slide guitar in there. It's just a you know this is this is a beautiful sunrise song. Like this is looking out over the plains, and there it is. We've got this wonderful tune, and just it's just what a great day. That's all that song right. says to me. It's just a great day. I, I could um, I could tell you exactly where this came from. So I'm a big Cameron Crowe fan. Okay. And, um, I, you know, grew up with his, uh, uh, with his movies, uh, obviously almost famous is kind of like the Bible of the do's and don'ts for any up, up and coming rock star. Um, I also loved Elizabeth town. I loved say anything. I loved say, I loved all of his movies and he was married to Nancy Wilson of heart for oh, okay, a long right. time. Yeah. And so she on multiple, uh, multiple movies, she did a score. So on Vanilla Sky, she did a song called Elevator Beat. 
on Elizabethtown. She's got this one called 60B and another one I, ca- I can't remember right now. And then, um, and also an almost famous, she, she does these short instrumental tracks that work their way into the movie and then are later released on the soundtrack. And I've always been such a huge fan of these and I always wanted to have one. <laughs> and so when I was visiting the mastering studio, uh, so Omar Rafat, who mastered this record, is also the same person who mastered the first one. So I just went back to the same place and saw him and we were catching up. In between the last record and this one, he had moved all the way to Canada, stayed there for a bit, and then came back. And he was finally back. And I uh, contacted him so we could do the mastering. So I'm there just, you know, visiting and we're kind of, you know, just uh, uh, catching up and stuff. And he's showing me his collection of microphones. Um, and then there's a guitar case in the corner. So I'm like, what's that? And he's like, oh yeah, this is, remember you had asked me about this guitar before I realized that it was here, but I had forgotten. And he pulls out a guitar out of the case. And so over the, over the nut where the strings go yeah. towards the headstock, he's got this really large metal nut that the strings are going over. So it just transformed a basic guitar into like a, a lap steel. Uh-huh. I'm like, what the hell is that? And he's like, yeah, I do this thing. And he just pulls out the slide thing and he plays this incredible little thing. I'm like, Hey man, I, I need this on the record. (laughs) And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm just going to record you doing whatever the hell you want to do. Just noodling. And I'm going to use that because I, I, it really belongs on the record. So I didn't want to sort of, uh, send him down and uh, I, he'd already listened to the record, but I didn't want to include what he was doing onto, uh, some of the songs. Cause the songs to me were kind of done at that point. I was, they were being mixed and getting ready to be mastered. I didn't want to go and re-record anything. So I'm like, let's just record a whole bunch of them and I'll, space them out in the record because it's only five tracks and let me make it larger than five. So maybe we can get to seven if we have like an intro and then something like in the middle of like an interlude or whatever. Cause I was also a big fan of that in a lot of records where you'd be listening to music and then there'd be like a 30 second clip of something and then you'd move on. I love that always. I really love that. I felt like I was getting my money's worth anytime I listened to a record. So anyway, (laughs) came back with my guitar and he was already in an open tuning, which means that if he strums it, it gives you a proper chord and to, in order to play slide. And so I was just in the same key and we played and we were supposed to record one or two. So we worked on th- this thing for like, I'm like, just play all of the licks that you could play in this tuning right now. So he played them all and I sort of put them in order and played chords over them and came up with the movement in the chords and just the, to give it a bit of emotion, even though it didn't have any uh, words in it, I still wanted it to, to, to have a sense of longing, to have a sense of hopefulness, a little bit of loneliness. And I listened to Joni Mitchell talking about complex emotions and complex chords, and she does a lot of open tunings as well. So she was doing a breakdown of every single string on the guitar. And she was like, going like dumb. And she's like, Oh, this is ominous. This is hopeful. This is longing. This is a, and she was talking about each individual string. And I'm like, that's incredible. I want that in, in, in at least one of my tracks. And this is the one that I chose to let the music do the talking. 
we recorded it. We came up with it. It was a minute and a half. So it was one hour of working on it, one hour of recording and one hour of editing. And it was done. Wow. Wow. And, and like, <laughs> That's yeah, then, me. Then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just the, the magic of making music. And for me, I kind of said, well, should it be an outro? Should it be an intro? And I'm like, if it, if I want to give it a good chance of being heard, it'll be the lead into the record because I want it to be the first thing you listen to because it sort of sets the mood and you go into I'm on fire from uh, Aurora and it just makes sense. Even if it was going to be at the end of the record, you were going to listen to it anyway in the same order because you know, the album would repeat. Yeah. And so that's, that's where Aurora comes from. You know, the inspiration and the, 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 the chance encounter with that slide guitar. And it was just uh, one of the better stories of the, and again, the right decision to have that song on the record. Exactly. It was exactly. Completely the right and people are listening to the album on repeat. They're listening to three times in a row and they're hearing Dude. it. And they're just, yeah, every time they're listening, and they're I, getting a, another hit. And I have to say, Aurora has been sort of the dark horse of the record. I never thought anybody would really pay much attention to it. But I'm looking at all the metrics on like Spotify and Apple music. And so many people are liking that song, even more than actual songs with lyrics in them and stuff in the record. A lot of people are really liking where it's being added to playlists and stuff. And I'm so proud of it because it's like the little instrumental that could, you know, it wasn't supposed to be there, but it's there. And thank God that it's there because I really can't picture the album. I listened to the albums. There's just such a long time without it. Uh, and then I listen to the album with it and it just makes all the difference in the world. It just, it's your plane ticket yeah. to Americana. Exactly. You, you, you book the ticket and then you're just whatever. And uh, like you said, it's, I, I was lucky enough to hear the record one time as the sun was coming up. I was catching up with a friend of mine who just came back into the country and stayed there at his place until like five in the morning maybe left at five fifteen, making the like 30 minute drive to, um, to my house. And as soon as the sun was coming up, I put the record on just to see. And it was the most incredible experience of like, I think that was the first time I heard the record as a, just as a listener and not as the person who made the record. And that's when I knew that this is going to be something that I'm super proud of. How how is it listening to the album as a listener versus the, the you know the performer the artist how 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 do you do that how did you was it just the time so, and for a long time I would only listen because I needed to figure out what I needed to improve so I'd only be listening with critical ears okay and then at some point I decided to make the switch to deciding that the album was done, deciding that every, there are little mistakes in there that I purposefully kept because I wanted it to sound like a human being was, was making this, you know, I didn't want to overly correct anything. Uh, there are even some things that I probably should have corrected, but I didn't, I, I purposefully left them there. And we'll get to that because most of these are in steady as we go. So we'll get to it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I just wanted to listen back to it and appreciate the effort that was put into it by everybody. And I didn't want to discredit it by, by being critical after the fact. Mm -hmm. So at some point I realized that we had done everything we can 
and we had all done the best we can and that should be enough. And that's when I just started listening to the record to enjoy it. And I was so focused on what's the perfect time to listen to the album. What's the perfect situation to listen to the album. What's this song do? What's this song? How does this song make me feel? And so I wasn't being critical as much as I was being analytical with the, with the music. And that allowed me to appreciate the record for what it was and not what it could be. Ah, okay. We've talked a little bit about I'm on fire. Do you, do you want to, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that is, as you said, what a perfect place to have it right after Aurora. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, I drive around with it without a roof on my, my Jeep. It's to me, it's the yellow Jeep without the roof on sitting at lights. You just got your hand tapping on the steering wheel. Just, right. you know, it's, it's just a, a great, a great, uh, you know, theme song for the day. Just works. Yeah. Got to draw the line. It's my big boy song, I like to call it. <laughs> uh, uh, it's, uh, it, <laughs> it's sort of uh, a perfect blend of... I mean, if you listen to the lyrics... It's about somebody who is trying to shut down propositions from someone who's interested in them because they have somebody in their life. And so automatically, it's so easy to be turned off from it, like just right off the bat, because you're not used to listening to that in, in songs. You're used to listening to you know, trying to be with somebody, trying to get with somebody, the chase and stuff. And here you're listening to a guy who's politely shutting down someone saying, oh no, I've got somebody waiting for me at home. And you're not used to hearing that. And I kind of knew that it was going to be, you know, a little bit, maybe it's a little bit of a turnoff to hear something like that. But thank God people don't focus on lyrics. (laughs) And thank God I purposely chose to... uh, uh, to write the chorus the way I did. So if you listen to it, it sort of has two choruses. Yeah. So it, it sort of has the, it's getting kind of late. Think of feeling mistakes going to happen tonight. Better run, better hide. So what I did was, you know, I, I put the, 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 the most common words I could at the end of every phrase. <laughs> There we go. Late mistake tonight. Hide. These are all things that, regardless of context, you're going to want to sing along to them. And then you go back to "I'm on fire, I'm on fire for somebody else waiting for me." So if you realize, I'm really going up on the "I'm I'm on fires," and then on the "for somebody else," I'm kind of murmuring them to the side, so you don't really get to you know live yeah. out the the bummed out nature of the song. But it it was a great experiment in um, purposefulness in songwriting, writing, knowing exactly what to hit and when it was such a relief to know that after it came out, that people were gravitating towards the things I was giving them, Uh, because then I was able to confirm that I knew what I was doing, which was one of the things I was most anxious about after a long stint of time of trying to do Arabic music that I didn't feel like was understood or easily accepted. Yeah. And so it was, it was a great thing. But yeah, I'm on fire has always been like the hit 
And I always wanted to, I knew that I was, that was the one that was going to be released as a single. It just had all the qualities and all the makings of it. And for me, I paid a lot of homage in that song to early two thousands, like Ronan Keating, David Gray. Uh, Yeah. You can hear it all there. Okay. It was in there. It was in there. It was in there. And I'll tell you, and I'll especially tell you this to be true in that last uh, chorus of saying I'm getting kind of tired my brain's all wired but I think I'll be better right. I'm getting kind of tired and my brain's all wired but I think I'll be alright honey I'm on fire I'm on fire I'm on fire you can't quench my desire Ronan Keating, I hear him. Yeah, that's fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. And you also... You also hear it in the chorus. So it's going to happen tonight. Better up the, It's got this sort of early 2000s Ronan Keating thing happening yeah, that I yeah. think I was the only one who was aware of it while we were recording. <laughs> but I really wanted to uh, go for it, you yeah, know, because yeah. at some point when you're making something, you're like, this is super. This sounds a lot like this or that. Yeah, and yeah. I was just like, if you get that instinct, go for it and go for it completely and don't hold back and just do the damn thing. Uh, <laughs> there's a, if it feels, there's a song shoddy that I've been listening to a lot from the Arkells. You might be familiar with the Arkells mm-hmm. out of Toronto and mm-hmm. they, they off their latest album, they've got a song and, and it's, and, and you hear they, they, they frame it in the, the start of the recording. And the guy says, you know, the lead singer says, look, I want to do a song that everyone's up on the dance floor dancing to. But when they listen to the lyrics, they're, depressing they're gonna cry <laughs> they're, they're, yeah. and, but it's a dancing song and you can't help but dance and then you hear the words and you're going there's right. nothing nice about this song and it's 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 just fabulous yeah. you, you just you know you can't stop listening to it and it's just it's yeah. just great yeah and sure. also in regards to maybe sounding a little bit too much like your heroes brandy carlisle on her new record she's got this song called you and me and the rock and she admits to 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 that song being a Joni Mitchell song. Okay. Cause what? she has, she has an incredible story. She said it multiple times. You can go back and listen to it about her discovery of Joni Mitchell and rediscovery of Joni Mitchell. And so she said, I need to have one song where I go full Joni Mitchell. Cause if I didn't do this in one song, I'm going to do it a little bit in every single song yeah, Okay. For, for, for the rest of my life. Yeah. And that sort of goes back to, you know, feeling it a little something and just like, just go for it. Just do the thing. Yeah. And because God knows the person you think you're emulating was already emulating somebody else. And guess what? He didn't sound exactly like them. So I think, I, 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 I think John Mayer has a really good quote of saying, um, my failure to sound like my heroes is how I develop my sound. And I, and I, I think that goes for all musicians, man. Yeah. If you're just trying and failing at sounding like the best people ever, you're going to be all right. Yeah. You know, cause yeah. you're, you're still attempting, you know, so that's, that's, I'm on fire. T- tell me about shoulder lullaby. shoulder to sleep tonight 
So Shoulder Lullaby uh, was kind of inspired by a uh, Brad Paisley song. Okay. Um, yeah, so Brad Paisley has this song uh, called... Um, I can't, oh my God, I can't, I can't remember right now. But anyway, uh, Little Moments, that's the name of the song. And it's all a string of really quirky things that his wife would do. Uh, like, uh, just like on last year... Uh, uh, just like last year on my birthday, she lost, she lost all track of time and burned the cake and every smoke detector in the house was going off. Uh, but so he just talks about these quirky things that were happening. And in the bridge, uh, uh, he says, um, uh, you know, he talks about them laying in bed and she sleeps on his shoulder and he says, and right about the time she falls asleep, so does my right arm. And I want so bad to move it and it's tingling and it's numb. Uh, but she looks so much like an angel that I couldn't get uh, get it done. Something like that along those lines. And I really like that whole element of, um, somebody falling asleep on your shoulder and it being so uncomfortable, (laughs) but you can't do anything about it because they look so precious and stuff. And to me, I wanted to play around with that element, but uh, for me, it always came from the whole point that I sleep a lot less than my wife. So she's always first to bed and last to wake up. So I usually go to bed after she's asleep and I wake up before her on most days. There are some days where she wakes up before me, but you know, it doesn't always happen. More recently it's been happening because I've been sleeping it a little bit, just relaxing after the whole burnout of the album and stuff. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to write a song about just looking at her and seeing her asleep a lot, you know, cause I sleep maybe five to six hours. She gets about eight to nine. So there's a good, there's a good amount of time where <laughs> yeah. I'm awake and she's not. Yeah. And I wanted to write a song about the feeling of, appreciating her asleep and, you know, being really happy that she's safe and comfortable, but at the same time wanting her to wake up so we can, you know, hang out and be together and stuff. Yeah. So that, that whole thing of every time you go away, I'm praying you come back to stay with me. It's all about um, just her sleeping on my shoulder and her falling into sleep and me wanting her to be comfortable as she possibly can, but also want her to wake up so we can hang out. That it's, le- a, it's 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 the cutie. It's a it's a little cutie of the album. I would describe it. It's it's the it's the uh, it's 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 the uh, you know. I don't I don't want to badmouth it, but you know, it's the cute song yeah. on the record. I would say that that sort of plays right into um, "Steady as We Go." I mean, that's, that's where it, so it goes from cute into steady as we go. And it, it, it's kind of like a logical progression when I'm listening to it. It just kind of plays into it. I took a drive at last 45. Couldn't think of anything other than you. Sweetest can be, there ain't nothing that I wouldn't do. You tell me, driver, say how far nothing's gonna ever tear us apart. I know. Right. Steady as we go was a song again 
didn't even exist until I was recording the record. So really? I had a third song that I wanted to record. So I started with Shoulder to Sleep. I'm still calling it Shoulders, Shoulder <laughs> Lullaby. That was the first song that I recorded. And then I recorded I'm on Fire. So by the time I came in to record the third song, I'd already had these two songs. So a sound was slowly being built. And the third track that I had was kind of a jazz song. It wasn't really jazz, jazz. It was yeah. like just a jazzy tune, you know? And it didn't fit. It didn't work at all. And besides, besides the fact that it didn't work with the two songs that I just recorded, the song itself didn't really have a hook. Okay. It sort of seemed like a song you would perform live and the lyrics were kind of quirky. Yeah. They were about a fight that we had and, uh, and trying to get over the fight and stuff. And it was done in a very humorous way. And it's a pretty funny song. So I went into the studio and again, going back to the whole idea of Mukhtar not holding any punches, I played him the song and he's like, it's all right, but it, <laughs> it doesn't have a hook. Yeah. So maybe you should work on it a little bit more. I'm like, yeah, you're right. So it took a week and I did nothing with the song. Couldn't do anything. To me, the song was done. Yeah. And it's so hard to revisit a song and try to inject hooks into him. They either, they're either born with them or they seem Frankenstein if you try to go back and try to do them again. And I wanted to avoid that at all costs. So I already had two other songs that I, I wanted to record. Uh, so I went in a week later and he's like, what'd you do with the song? I'm like, absolutely nothing. Like, so what are we doing? I'm like, listen, I'm a little inspired from the recording process. I kind of have this idea in mind. And if you give me 20 minutes, I can try to come up with something. And he looked at me like I'm an imbecile. And I'm like, trust me, just go have your breakfast. Cause we'd meet at like 10 AM and work all the way to five. So yeah. I'd get there and he'd just be like, uh, he'd be waking up. I'd already been away cause it's an hour drive from, from where I live. And so I'm like, just have your breakfast before we get started. And by the time you're done, if I don't have a new song, we'll go on to the next one. I promise you. And he's like, all right. So he went to have his breakfast. And in those 20 minutes, I wrote steady as we go. Wow. Complete lyrics and melodies. And wow. I was so inspired. And it just came out. The whole thing just came out in 20 minutes. Wow. And he came in and I played him the song. And he was like, that sounds good. Let's let's, <laughs> let's start recording. And that was it. And I recorded the track. And then I wasn't too happy with the key. So I went back and uh, detuned my guitar and then recorded it again. And so in the span of two hours, we had the song, the acoustic guitars and the vocals were done and the drums were kind of like what we wanted to do with the drums was already done. So it was just in a, in a span of a couple of hours, the song was everything about it was done. That's incredible. That's, that's yeah, really cool. And uh, it's something I'm incredibly proud of. And here's the thing, the vocals you hear on the album. Yeah. That's me singing the song for the first time. Okay, hold on. I'm going to I'm going to play a piece of that right now. Let's just take a little quick so, listen here. here so I go. never went back and recorded the vocals. These vocals are the very first time I sang that song. You tell me drive or say how far nothing's going to ever tear us apart. I know. You be the engine, I'll be the wheel. Oh, nothing can describe 
what a tune. It, I mean, it is just a great sounding tune. I, I just love that guitar. Just just grabs you. Man, sorry, about, sorry for ruining that for you there, but just... Just beautiful. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, that's, that's exactly how I describe it. Listen, man, Romy Sidi is a national treasure. He, as soon as he puts a stamp on anything, yeah. he has a magical quality, quality to his playing. He just comes up with these things that you very quickly decide that's exactly how it should have always yeah. sounded. Yeah. Oh, man. Like that. And, and again, I didn't talk to him about this song. I just sent it to him. I'm like, Hey man, listen. Uh, so there's this song that we just recorded. Would love if you could, uh, uh, do something to it. That's all I said. Yeah. Wow. And so he came up with the, and he recorded it and then he put it all the way through. So he would fill in every single gap in the song. So the only thing I said was let's not, uh, overuse it. Let's just put it in the beginning and then let's put it uh, after the first chorus and then let's use it in the end. So it retains that magical quality to it. And let's yeah. do something else in the meantime. That's the only thing I said. And he was like, dude, you're the, my mistake. I should have been, you know, I wanted to do it that way. I didn't realize that the version I sent you had the riff just repeating it. So we were just on the same page Man, beautiful. and he just really gets what the song needs before you even know it and before you communicate it, he's just there in the pocket. And um, he's working with me on the new songs and it's just more of the same. Yes. I, I give no griefs. You know, <laughs> the one thing I'm always pretty particular about is maybe the, the drum and bass because I want the rhythm section to work with the, the rhythmic playing that I'm doing with my right hand on the guitar. Other than that, it's just, yeah. Anything goes, you know, yeah. whatever you feel like is the right thing for the, wow. for the tracking. That's yeah. Tell me about you make it easy. Life can get harder with every passing day. So you make it easy started off as a song about, um, this idea that it would be easy to love somebody who you have a lot in common with, okay. right? So you meet somebody and, oh, they like all the same music you like and they like all the same movies. So you think to yourself that, oh, it'd be very easy to love this person, right? On paper. But come to realize that it doesn't really work that way. Mm. Okay. We're not just, yeah. this isn't high fidelity. We're not just, um, you know, it's not what you're like. It's what you like. The, the whole high fidelity uh, um, thing that I grew up actually admiring and, and, and championing for a very long time. I thought I could only be attracted to people who were attracted to the same things I was. And then I realized how narcissistic that <laughs> was. And you can't always just go for looking, you know, go looking for yeah. another yeah. version of yourself. Cause that's just, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of counterintuitive if you're looking for someone to complete you. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I checked out of the whole idea of trying to find somebody who was interested in the same things I was. Cause God knows my wife and I were into very different things. She's a pharmacy graduate. I'm an artist. 
she but she also has a lot of artistic qualities to her so she she's a really good cook she actually does um uh, videos on uh, online for like different recipes and stuff and uh but she also works in training and moderating and it's all very oh, scientific man. and very nerdy stuff yeah and i'm just on the other side with my guitar trying to make a living, you know? So yeah, yeah. it doesn't make sense that we're together, but in some sense it makes all the sense in the world. And so I wanted to explore the element of completing somebody and also admitting that I'm not the easiest person to, to, to live with. Right. <laughs> and so I started to think of the idea of you make it easy, not in a sense of, Oh, you like the same things I like. So it's easy to love you. But in a sense of, oh, well, you understand me so much. And it's about the effort, not just the natural occurrence of you being so similar. So I wanted to change it up a bit. And I wanted it to represent the effort that it took to make a relationship work and the effort that it took. There's just a hopefulness of being with someone who you hope will understand you and you hope will kind of anticipate your changes and anticipate your mood swings and be able to deal with that in real time, regardless of how unrealistic it might be at times. But it's just, you know, when you're writing, you're, you're, yeah. you're kind of being hopeful and you, you want to write about the perfect case scenario. And that's kind of what you make it easy is all about. It's about the hopefulness about the ease of a relationship and uh if you remember the last record there was a song called the wind yes and that to date is i think the most successful song i've had in terms of like metrics and numbers and all of that stuff and i never thought that that would be the one because it's just like a simple ballad and stuff and since then any album i've ever tried to make has to have a version of the wind in it okay? because I realized that that sort of is the sound where I think I'm best presented or best appreciated. Mm, mm. So I could do all I want with like the great songwriting. I could do like the big boy songs and I could do the hit song. I could do all that stuff. But when it comes down to it, the very basic acoustic track with me singing vulnerably, I think is the the version that a lot of people appreciate and the one that a lot of people look forward to. So I make sure that whatever, whatever it is that I'm doing in any record, there is one song on the record that represents that. And so with this record, that's, that's, you make it easy. I may not always give you reasons to stay with me. But when I fall, you catch me and help me stand. Which which ends us off at even though. Yeah, man. Even though I have to say, <laughs> uh, is um, what do you think of it? Yeah, I'm gonna play a little bit of it. Let's just let's let folks have just a little bit. Listen to even though. Here we go. inside my head I know that I will love you more than anything even though I still don't know your name I love you all the same you send my heart racing all that I am 
inside my dreams You were part of me it seems And I wouldn't have it any other way Even though we won't be here for a while I can't help but stop and smile You take my breath You know what I'm listening to even though and I'm listening to just that, the, you know, the, the, the fun with the guitar and, and it's that, you know, listening forward. It, it's very Jason Mirazzi to me, you know, and, and, and it's just, it's fun. I mean, it's, hey, you know what? There's hope and we're, we're going to head to something next right. and hang around because life is what life is and don't get too carried away. That's sort of what it left me thinking. And I think that's great. Um, I'm always interested to hear what people think because I know what the song's about. But again, <laughs> like the wind, I know exactly what the wind's about. But I've never said what it's about because I feel like yeah. it kind of... There are two things that happen when you explain what a song is about. Either people love it even more. And that happened when I heard... Um, it's strange because the two examples that I'm going to give are related to songwriters writing about their mothers. So drops of Jupiter by train and 3am by matchbox 20. Right. Both of them were written about drops of Jupiter was written about uh, the, the singer's mother who had recently passed away and 3am was written about the singer's mother who was, uh, who was sick. And when I listened to both tracks in the beginning, I never heard that in the, in the lyrics. Right. Yeah. And then when I found out that that's yeah. what it was about, I loved it even more. And I connected with it so much, but then there are other times where you hear what the song is actually about, or you see a movie after you've read a book and you're like, how dare you try to say that your imagination is better than mine? How dare you try to say that yeah. what I thought isn't the correct thing. So I've been kind of cautious about, uh, there are some songs that like, like I said, I'm on fire, shoulder lullaby, you make it easy. They're all songs that, there's no, de there's no debate about what they're about. They're very clear in the lyrics. There, there's no symbolism yeah. or anything. They're just very clear with, even though it's sort of about the concept of longing for something and it's just not the time for it yet, but you're just expressing that you do want it and you you are welcoming it. So it could be a whole yeah. bunch of stuff. It could be something that you're <laughs> waiting for. It could be someone who you haven't yeah. met yet. It could be whatever you want it to be something. It just has that a whole, there's an expansiveness to it, which I purposely tried to create in the, in the, uh, in the recording from the fact that it's tuned down. So I'm singing it from a lower register that is, that has a little bit of melancholy to it, even though it's not a sad song, but there's just a melancholy yeah. nature to it in the way that I'm delivering it. I'm not really like belting it out or singing it. It doesn't have any of that stuff. And yeah, it's the yeah. only track with a fade out. And that's purposeful as well. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. So all of the other tracks <laughs> have a very solid yeah. ending. This one's the only one with a fade out mm -hmm. because I knew I wanted it to be the last track on the record. And because I actually played the, all of the instruments on that besides the bass are done by me. So I was the one doing the acoustic guitar solo and I'm not a soloist by any means. So I was in favor of cutting it short. You know, <laughs> I would always say, no, 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 cut it short, cut it short. Cause nobody needs to hear this. And then Mukhtar was like, no man, it actually sounds nice. So we pushed a little bit. It was originally supposed to be much shorter than this, but I was like, let's just, okay. all right, let's live in this for a little bit. 
but it's the only one with the fade out because I wanted it to fade out and then you go back into the record again. So again, that whole idea yeah. of making the right choices and stuff. And also because it represents this whole idea of, you know, wanting something and that something isn't there. So there's a, an element of, you know, when you try to hug somebody, but all you get is like, and you know, an air yeah. hug sort of, so you're yes. doing the action, yeah. but you're not getting the thing. And that's what the song is. It's reaching for something that isn't there. And I felt like a fade yeah. out would be the perfect thing to do with it because <laughs> it just, you know, I could have ended the song just because we do end it live. You, you can't, you could fade out live, but it's a bit gimmicky. And I stopped being a yeah. fan of that a long time ago. I did it for a whole bunch of times and it was super impressive for everybody involved. But uh, I, I thought it would be more musically appropriate to end the song and have a constructive ending to it. But on the record, I just figured having a fade out to it would be the perfect compliment to the whole idea. Awesome. Of, of of just the longing element uh yeah, song. yeah um it's it's also surprisingly one of the better performing songs on the record and again i didn't wow. feel like that was going to be the one but anybody who i played the album to before so you expect certain things when you play the album to somebody before it comes out you expect them to yeah. like the songs that you purposefully put in there i expected i'm on fire obviously to be a big hit uh, I thought Steady As We Go was going to be a super, you know, I, the, the one song that yeah. surprised me is Shoulder Lullaby. I really thought that song was going to be, was going to do a lot better than it, than it's doing. I really thought that was going to yeah. be a song that everybody was going to really like, but I haven't gotten any comments about it since the album came out. Everybody's been talking <laughs> about Aurora, I'm on fire, even though, and uh, you make it easy, obviously, being yeah. the other counterpart to I'm on fire. Cause it's, it's also a hit in that regard and just yeah. having the sort of elements that could propel it to be a hit. Something like, Hey there, Delilah is a good example. Yeah. Something like time of your life by green day is a good example. There have been examples of simple songs done on acoustic guitars that have been incredibly big hits. And it still follows the same kind of formula of just sticking to, I mean, it's, it's a four chord loop. It, it, it doesn't yeah. go anywhere. It's just four <laughs> chords being repeated and you're just singing on top of it. So I tried to give it nice vocal textures to, to make it a little bit interesting. Uh, that's about it. It's just very simple Man. in the way that it's repetitive. And I think that's part of the reason why a lot of people like it because they, they get into it and it's like riding a bike. It's one of the easiest ones yeah. to paddle along to. Yeah. Oh, Shadi, you know what? I, I, this has just been... An exceptional conversation. I I am so blessed to have been able to sit down with you and go through this album. And like you said, it's been nine years since we've done this. It was with your first album. This is like, how did this all come together at this point? This is this is incredible. It really is. And it's it, I I can't wait till you're back in Dubai or if I'm if I'm in Cairo. You never know. Yeah. I, I can't wait to see you again and to come and hear you live. Yeah, I mean, man. it's you know, buddy. Thank you very much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. How, how can we get? How can people get in touch with you? Where I mean, we're, we're on Spotify. You're on Deezer. You're on iTunes. So the album reach is, out to you on um, Instagram. Album is available everywhere. You can get streaming. It's on YouTube Music and in Remy for people in the Middle East as well. Um, I know these two links are not available on the Here Now website that I have, but the album is there. Um, just uh, Shady Ahmed on Instagram. 
and Shady Ahmed Music on Facebook and YouTube. And yeah, um, always happy to hear from uh, from anybody who enjoys the record. And uh, yeah, looking forward to playing it live soon. Uh, I did one show after the record was done. And now we're kind of evaluating the complimentary songs that we're going to be playing uh, uh, in accordance with the record. We're adding a few cover tracks as well. We're doing some Chris Stapleton and Lucas Nelson. So we're looking cool. forward to awesome. uh, playing live. Yeah. Shadi, thank you very much. That's all I can say. Love you, James. Thank you. And I uh, can't wait to see you soon. 